0: Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We are currently in chapter 4 at verse 17. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we, in verse 17 of chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians, where Paul writes this. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So here in the middle of chapter 14, we find this paragraph in many ways. This is beginning a new section. And our uh, other section, which uh, included all the way from verse 1 through verse 16 of chapter 4, is what we call the worthy walk. The worthy walk uh, included um, what Paul had to say about our unity, about our variety in the midst of the unity, or the unity in the midst of the variety, however you want to put that, uh, except he does talk about the unity first, and then the variety comes second, and then maturity is the goal, and that is what he talked about in verses 1 through 16. Uh, That had to do with the worthy walk. Now, uh, in verses 17 through 32, in the larger section there, uh, that all deals with the different walk, and that will, um, in that part of the outline, that will complete the chapter of uh, chapter 4, that is, and then uh, chapter 5 still is in this same framework, talking about the loving walk and the wise walk, Uh, and that will take us uh, basically all the way through the first uh, nine verses of chapter 6. So, this is our life in the world. The worthy walk, the different walk, the loving walk, and the wise walk. And uh, that's the way we've uh, chosen to kind of... uh, Uh, break down these passages, and so uh, in this particular episode, we only read from verse 17 through 24, and that has to do with this different walk in relation to your old self. Now, later on in uh, future episodes, we'll talk about this different walk uh, in relation to others around us, and then in relation to the Holy Spirit, and that will come a little bit later in the next episode or so. So uh, right now, though, let's uh, get into this passage where Paul begins this paragraph with, So this I say, uh, and affirm together with the Lord. Notice that Paul, in writing this passage, wants to call the uh, the Lord himself into the authority structure, even though it's assumed that uh, because these are inspired words by the Holy Spirit, um, Paul wants you to know that at the, at this uh, A kind of junction, you might say, that this is something that he and Jesus has agreed upon. And that means that he is not writing anything new that you wouldn't already get uh, in one form, shape, or another from from Jesus's own words. And so that's kind of what he's calling uh, to be a part of this Uh, next part of the conversation here. It says that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. So there is to be a discrimination between the way we conduct ourselves and the way that we used to conduct ourselves and the way that the culture around us conducts uh, themselves. And uh, that that, uh, contrast is to be rather stark. Now, in many regards, we still leave, live our lives in normal sort of ways, you might say, in terms of uh, uh, having a job, or earning a living, maybe even owning a home or having transportation or or uh, raising children and having a family or having a few pets around the house. All of those things might look rather the same as uh, those people around us. But uh, when it comes to the core of the things that are important, the core of our lives, that uh, there should be a distinguishing mark about how we uh, look at our priorities, how we look at our future, how we look at our uh, a uh, lifestyle, and uh, so that's the reason why this is important. No longer as the Gentiles walk. Now, of course, Paul is writing as a Jewish author, so this is a a catchphrase, or at least a phrase that that is a broad stroke um, of uh, all people that are without Christ, uh, those that are without the Word of God, those are without this holy the Holy Spirit of of Christ indwelling them, and so he says, uh, our behavior, our conduct our priorities the things we focus on shouldn't be the same as uh, those around us and it, notice that uh, and when he talks about walk that what that's basically what he's talking about he's it's it's the behavior of our lives and uh he's, he's not necessarily talking about our physical gait because of our uh, our uh, legs and our hips and whatever else we may have a, a different kind of a gait in the way we walk that way but that's not What he's talking about, he's talking about, uh, from a figurative standpoint, our conduct. And uh, so that our conduct, our lifestyle should be distinct. Uh, And it says uh, they walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding. So that we are to be separate. We are to be completely different than them because they have different priorities than us. And they have a different lifestyle than us. So don't make them out to be your, your models and your heroes. You are to be distinct from them. Um, and First uh, Thessalonians chapter four verses uh, four and five says that each of you know how to possess your his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so there is that distinction that we are to make uh, by the way we behave, by our actions, and um, they operate out of the futility of their mind. It says here in verse seventeen. Uh, and, um, uh, that means it's empty. It's, uh, the King James, in fact, uh, translates it as vanity, the vanity of their minds. It's empty. It's purposeless. It possesses no worthwhile content. Uh, their minds do. And it says being darkened in their understanding. That means uh, somehow they are short sighted. Uh, they were blinded. They do not see Clearly, they have spiritual cataracts, you might say, and uh, that uh, uh, that is part of where they are spiritually because they do not allow that kind of input into their life. And look at this, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They are excluded. They're separ- they have their own separation. Their separation is uh, being separated from the life of God. They have no clue about what God's life looks like, what eternal life looks like, what the Christian life looks like, and uh, perhaps they do have a clue these days because of the fact that uh, um, the message of Christ and the message of Jesus, uh, death on the cross and resurrection and uh, the gift of eternal life and the gospel message has been preached now on this earth for um, almost 2,000 years or so, and so in many regards, they may have some understanding, but in in terms of their spiritual life, in terms of their core of their being, uh, they are dark in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And uh, uh, it's interesting that 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14 uh, talks about as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. There's a certain thing in which ignorance is not just a, a thing that uh, uh, you can gloss over, or that you you don't don't take a responsibility for, because some ignorance actually is a willful ignorance, and that's that's different. In uh, Romans chapter one, um, verse eighteen, it says, "For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men." who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, so, so there is a, a certain idea they have about righteousness and about God's life and about God's word and about God's truth, but they have chosen to suppress the truth so that this ignorance is a willful thing. That's the reason why that their hearts are darkened, their mind is futile, and it says, um, it says that uh, they have this ignorance that's a chosen ignorance. And uh, because of the hardness of their heart. And so they have made their hearts, their hearts hardened against hearing the truth. They are resistant to the truth. Uh, they don't want to hear the truth. And uh, what's interesting is that, is that in um, uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus reacts to um those around him and in the, in that particular case it had to do with the pharisees and these were these were what some people would consider to be m- the most religious people on earth as far as judaism is concerned and yet he says in uh, mark chapter 3 verse 5 after looking around at them with anger grieved at the hardness of heart uh, you see, Jesus saw their hardness of heart. And no, notice that Jesus is grieved over their hardness. Uh, Jesus isn't sitting in, in judgment against them necessarily, except for their hypocrisy and and a lot of other things. But in in this regard, he understands they have hardened their heart, and he grieves at that. He's not joyful over that. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, rejoice or uh, get excited. Oh, these guys have, are hard. They're never going to believe in me. He's yeah. grieved about it. And notice that, in fact, he looked around them with anger. And that's a that's an emotion that is uh, described about Jesus' response to them. He is angry. Why? Because they are rejecting the truth because of this chosen ignorance and this hardness of heart. And that's Jesus because, uh, uh, by the way, uh there's, this is the only way in which, uh, or the only place where Jesus's emotions are actually described with this word, anger. Now, uh, in in other places, uh, we remember the stories of uh, Jesus overturning the tables and uh, uh, in the temple and cleansing the temple and uh, all of that, and that scene is recorded. And in fact, he probably did it twice, once at the beginning of his his. Uh, public ministry and once at the end, but, uh, uh, and normally we would naturally kind of defer to the fact that, well, Jesus must've been angry. What's fascinating is, is you can go to all Of those passages that refer to the the cleansing of the temple, and uh, the word anger is not in any of those passages, or a part of describing Jesus's emotions. Now, his physical actions are described, but his emotional state isn't defined as being anger, which is kind of interesting to me that he is angry at the fact that these people have hardened their heart. And it says, then in verse 19, we're going to get back to that right after this musical interlude. we're back in this passage at verse 19. Paul continues to describe uh, the lifestyle and the priorities and the, the state, the mental state, you might say, uh, of those without Christ. And uh, uh, we just don't want to duplicate them or look uh, to them as our models of behavior, because then it goes on uh, in verse 19, and they having become callous, you see, what's interesting is he ended verse 20 by saying, because of the hardness of their heart and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality. What's interesting is that, uh, that he duplicates this image. Number one, they have a hard heart. Number two, they have a they are uh, callous. That means uh, somehow by resisting the, the, uh, the spirit's uh, conviction or resisting the truth or resisting the gospel, re- resisting the message about Jesus and the message uh, by Jesus. Uh, that somehow this resistance over and over and over again has caused them not only to become hardened, but they have become calloused both. At the same time, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2 says, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their conscience as with a branding iron. And so their consciences have been seared. Uh, They are calloused. They don't feel guilt uh, as much as they used to. There is the law of diminishing returns, and in, in many regards, the the. Um the expression of of their lusts and the the fulfillment of their desires and their their cravings, um, they need more in order to satisfy or give them the sense of satisfaction that uh, perhaps following their their lusts have given them uh, so far, and so they continue to pursue more and more and more, and so their guilt factor gets calloused over, and the the uh, the guilt meter doesn't read as uh, as quickly as it might, and so that's. Exactly what uh, Paul is talking about here. They have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality. What's interesting is, is that uh, these two ideas are back to back in the same sentence. They become callous on the one hand, and so what's their response of being calloused toward the truth, being calloused toward the life of God, being t- calloused toward the word of God the and the work of Jesus and the message of Jesus? The, uh, the result of being calloused uh, is that they they pursue sensuality. In other words, uh, it's almost like the opposite uh, kind of thing. That they go after the things of their sensual. They want to emphasize the sensual, even though they become callous toward God and His words. And uh, that's that's a very in- intriguing um, uh, a response here going on. And so they've they've surrendered themselves to this sensuality they have abandoned themselves this is called licentiousness this isn't this is not just the fact that uh, somewhere along the line they stumbled into a temptation and they couldn't uh, resist the temptation and they went ahead and did what did what they didn't want to do and uh, that kind of thing this this is not that this is something else this is that they have chosen to chuck anything else and go after uh, their sensuality um uh, and any restraint they wanted to just throw off uh that this is uh the idea of licentiousness this is the idea of just wanton um, uh, sensuality. And um, notice that this is the these, uh, these senses um, that they want to go after is more than just sexuality. It's It may be any number of things that they are craving, and so they want to go after their craving. What's interesting is Peter talks about this very thing that would characterize an entire generation of people on earth, an entire culture on earth and maybe the entire earthly culture at that uh 2nd Peter chapter 2 verse 1 that is verse 2 it says um Many will follow their sensuality because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And uh, uh, again, in chapter three, verse three of second Peter, Peter says this, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Uh, and that's an interesting phrase. They're following after their cravings. Look at Jude um, verse, verses 16 and 18. Uh, Jude says this. Uh, These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts, speaking arrogantly, Flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And then on down in verse 18 of the book of Jude, it says that they were saying to you, In the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. Notice that this following after means that they have allowed their cravings to take the lead. They have allowed these lusts, this sensuality, to take the lead of their life. In other words, uh, they are no longer under any restraint by any sort of uh, dignified uh, sense of even uh, uh, humanity or uh, even a, a humanist uh, kind of approach of of being positive or, or being in a positive direction of showing some sort of uh, morality about them. Uh, th- these have abandoned that. They've allowed their cravings to take the lead of their life. Not their, not their intellectual minds, not their, uh, their uh, uh, sense of goodness in others or, or anything else or of serving others or uh, of any of those things, uh, not in the sense of having a positive mental attitude even. These people are allowing their cravings to take the lead. They are claiming their lusts as being their identity. And that is a very dangerous place to be, according to Paul in writing to the to the Ephesians. Let's get back to that. He says, they've given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Uh, and so this practice is an interesting word because it actually refers to operating a business. This refers to professionally going out and Pursuing lust, pursuing cravings, pursuing their desires, following after those things that they that shouldn't ever take the lead, and uh, that's what he's talking about. This is a practice now. This is. This is uh, plying a trade. They are tradesmen in following after their sensuality. And um, that's what it's going for, Uh, impurity with greediness. Notice again, this idea, there's money involved in this. It is more than just uh, weakness Uh, and is more than just, uh, you might say, ignorance in an innocent sort of way. This is a suppression of of truth, a... a, uh, a, a willful ignorance, and it's, it's a pursuit of something that is, that is their own cravings. And so their cravings pers- uh, are the pursuit of their uh, identities, and then they do so with greediness. That means these people have found a way to make money out of their cravings, out of their lusts, out of their sensuality. And uh, so then in verse 20, he continues on, he says, uh, "But you did not learn Christ in this way. This is not uh, living the Christian life. These things should not be a part of the way that you live your life in Christ." He says, um, uh, "You didn't learn Christ this way. And if indeed you've heard of, you've heard heard Him and have been taught in Him, and so uh, Paul already knows the Ephesian believers are in Christ. He already knows that they have been taught." Uh, by Christ and uh, they've been taught Christ himself and uh, and uh, even though Jesus wasn't there in Ephesus teaching them and yet uh, uh, that is what they heard from Paul and others who proclaim Christ to them and that's where they learned about Jesus and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that's where you find the truth. It is not in following after these cravings. It is not in making these cravings a part of your identity by pursuing them as if they are the object of your uh, true self. They are not. They are the enemy of your true self, these cravings are. And he says, in Christ, you have learned something else. You've learned that the truth is in Jesus. And if you know the truth, then you want to develop your relationship with Jesus so that the truth can come out. The truth can define who you are the truth is your new identity your relationship with jesus being the truth is your new identity he is your new pursuit In fact, his very name means uh, he will save his people from their sins. And so the truth is in Jesus. That's what he said himself. And it's an often quoted uh, verse these days. But in John 14, verse 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus identifies himself as being the truth. It is not just being truthful. It is he is the truth. Our truth is personal, and it is wrapped up in one single person, and that's in Jesus. And it says uh, that, uh, verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. You're no longer who you used to be. You have now have been uh, born again, according to Jesus' words. And when you have trusted Jesus to be your Savior, when he died on the cross for your sin, when he rose again from the grave and he ascended back to the Father, he gave his Holy Spirit to those who trusted in him him and in his death as the payment for their sin. And when you've done that, you are no longer the old self. You may have remnants of that around you, and you may have remnants of that and memories of that living inside of your body. And there may be things in your body that respond to those things, but your old self is not the thing that dominates you anymore, which is, and notice it says, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Your old self is not where you go. You can find your identity in all sorts of things, but not in your old self before you knew Jesus. And that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind, we should be transformed. In the renewal of our mind, according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we change the way—not only uh, change our thoughts. Uh, you see, uh, you might think that that. Uh, your thoughts are your are your greatest enemies. Sometimes your thoughts uh, uh, have a bigger problem. It's the fact that you learned to think wrongly about the truth, and you're thinking wrongly. The way that you think needs to be transformed, as well as the, the object of your thoughts needs to be transformed, and that's what he's getting at here. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We put on Christ, and that doesn't mean we, we mimic Jesus or make him uh, our hobby. It means that, um, that uh, or this is not living the Christian life in some sort of a, a fakery. This, this means that that we put on this new self. This is our new identity. It feels strange because we're, unaccustomed to it. We are perhaps more familiar with our old self, but our new self, by the fact that it's unfamiliar, may feel a little odd. And so that's the reason why he says, you have a new garment to put on, and that's Jesus. You put on him. You put him around you and in you, and uh, you live in Him, in the likeness of God, created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So, what we do is we walk in Him, we follow Him, and we obey His truth. And um, uh, earlier in this uh, in this chapter, He talked He talked about speaking the truth in love in verse fifteen. Well, this has to do with loving one another in the truth and speaking the truth in love. You see, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 6 says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And the reason why I wanted to uh, uh, quote that verse is because some people believe that somehow loving people with the truth means that uh, we leave out parts of the truth and uh, that doesn't mean that it means that we love them with the truth we love them in the truth and we value them because we know the truth is in Jesus and we want to preach the truth in Jesus to them so that they know the life that he has to give to them Thank you, Father, for these moments together. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that you have the power to affect changes in our life, that we would not live our lives as we used to before we knew Jesus, that we would live our lives refreshed by the truth, refreshed by your love, refreshed by the forgiveness of our sins, refreshed by the power of the Holy Spirit imparting to us eternal life, even on a day-to-day basis. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.